Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, welcome to your Hollywood Crime Scene mini episode. Hello. So... As promised, I have some follow-up stories that are related to our main episode from this week. So first I'm going to get into some of the ghost stores, st- stores, ghost stories and paranormal activity related to the murder of Grace Brown. So during the trial, the actual boat where Grace spent her last moments was brought into the courthouse as evidence. Three years after the trial, the boat disappeared from the evidence room that was in the courthouse, and that's when spooky sightings and paranormal activity started happening at the courthouse. Some people reported seeing um, the boat with a ghostly figure of a man and woman like as if they were rowing on water, and the features of the man resembled Gillette. Uh, they would see a, a ghostly struggle ensue between the man and woman, and then that would be followed by an unearthly piercing scream, and then the boat would disappear. They would see this occur inside the courthouse. Inside the courthouse, they would see this scene played out in ghostly apparition. Wow. Now, some people would like rush towards the ghostly figures as they were fighting. Okay, and when, get out of yeah, here. Or like trying to like conf- confront the ghost or something you can't do that yeah and as they would reach the scene it would sort of vanish into thin air as they like approached it now chester's spirit had been also spotted um at the courtland um gillette skirt factory that building was abandoned at some point but when people would revisit it for some reason or just go like you know, like touristy kind of looking at scenes from famous crimes, they would see a ghost that was carrying a tennis racket walking around the grounds of the Gillette skirt factory or the old, where it was. Now, following his execution, prisoners who would be in the cell that was once occupied by Gillette would complain that something else was in the cell with them. Several times, like throughout the years, people would be woken up in the jail um, by terrifying screams of whoever was in that cell that was Chester's old cell. In every instance, the man said that he was awakened and saw Gillette standing by his cot. This made the the people who run the jail, I don't know what they're called, they would like finally only use that cell if they had literally no other options because that's how bad it got that people were complaining about Chester haunting that cell. Are you serious? Yeah. They actually listened to what the prisoners had to say? I guess... I mean, I don't doubt that it wasn't for, I doubt it, I bet it was like selfish reasons, like, ugh, that way they right. don't have to deal with it. Like, I'm sure they didn't give a fuck about the prisoners. That's what I mean. Yeah. But like, yeah, they did listen. Like, so they would only use it at that point. Now, eventually that building where the jail was housed is also sort of abandoned and not used for that anymore, but people could still sort of visit it as a historic landmark. And they still would say that they felt this presence there as if Chester was still haunting the grounds of the old jail. Now, Grace was also reported being seen at apple trees on the, like in the apple orchard on the farm where she grew up, basically. 
the Cortland apples. <laughs> so people said that they would go visit this farm and see her spirit walking amongst the apple trees, but she seemed very um, happy and carefree. So they like to speculate that that was before Chester ruined her life. Now, the the if you really want to see the ghost of um, Grace, the place that is sort of most often cited for Grace sightings is called Covewood Lodge. And that's in the Adirondacks near where she died. She didn't stay there because it wasn't built until 1924. But for some reason, that location is where all of the mo- the most Grace Brown um, sightings have happened. So apparently she makes her presence known inside the lodge. She turns lights on and off. Some employees have glimpsed her, uh, you know, apparition throughout the um, lodge Um, When the lobby is deserted, guests have come in late at night and they described a woman standing on like a staircase landing, a vaporous girl in old fashioned clothes. There aren't, I was thinking that most ghosts are Victorian. Or Edwardian, like this case. (laughs) Right? This was an Edwardian. They're always like old school. You, I will say though that my stepmom saw a ghost in the 70s when she was wearing clothes that were kind of like 50s. Oh, really? Yeah, or 60s. Maybe it was the 80s she saw this ghost. Anyway, but the way she described it was like early, an early 60s look. So it was a more modern. More, that's pretty, I'm just saying that's like yeah. unusual because usually when movies and when you see, when you hear people seeing apparitions, it's always like anywhere between the Civil War and Edwardian era. They're always old school. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but there is an Unsolved Mysteries about Grace Brown and oh. the hauntings. So I did find that episode and watch it. <laughs> That's like a, I missed that show. Same. I literally grew up watching that show. Yeah. I feel like I've seen every episode. So I, it was like f- cool to see Robert Stack again. <laughs> All those episodes are on Amazon Prime. Really? Yes. Oh, I got to get into so that. So I found the episode and then I just searched for it on Amazon Prime. I mean, maybe it's on Hulu or something as well. Uh, but yeah, so I found the episode and I watched it. Now... In this episode, they talk about some of the um, experiences people had at the Covewood Lodge. Um, By the way, this segment is called Grace's Ghost. I think it was like season seven, episode eight or something. You can look for it. But one woman, her name was Rhonda Busolo, uh, and this incident happened in 1988. She was an employee of Covewood Lodge, and she was walking with a group of three other employees, and they were going to the staff lodge. It was dark, and she was running inside for something. I don't know what her group was doing. So she uh, runs inside. It's very dark, and she's sort of feeling around, walking up the stairs, and she's sort of like reaching for that string to pull the light on. Mm -hmm. Do you know that feeling? Yes. (laughs) It's really fucking creepy feeling. When she was telling the story, I was like, I'm like, I hate when you're looking for that string to fucking pull the light on. It's like out of a horror movie. So that's what she's doing. She uh, said that while she was searching for the string, she could feel someone was right there with her standing next to her. And she said that she felt like her breath had been taken away. Like it wasn't that she was frightened, but it was something like that was sort of like unnerving. Now, outside, her three, her three friends who were waiting for her had a completely different experience. They looked up in fear on the second floor of the cabin. All three of them saw a ghostly vision of a young woman who was just lingering there for several minutes before evaporating into a mist. And they believed that that was the spirit or ghost of, of Grace Brown. That's so glamorous to evaporate into a mist. It sounds really refreshing. <laughs> 
<laughs> doesn't it? Like, yeah, ugh, just like take the weight off. It's like effervescent. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now, uh, this was funny too, because I, I feel like I haven't watched something with reenactments in a while. And these ones are so, I can't, I don't know when this episode was from, oh, I think it was uh, from like the nineties. The so it was like old school reenactments. So you know they're good. <laughs> they were kind of a little superior, but just like, I like how they kind of um, have the incident, but they always like the old school shows always dedicate a few minutes of preamble. Right. Like when they're like, so what are we going to do tonight? <laughs> like They yes. have like the, they don't just start at the moment. It's like the three friends talking. Um, anyway. So the other story that was in this unsolved mysteries was the story of Linda Lee Mackin. And she actually wrote a, it's described as a pamphlet of um, it's called Adirondack ghost. So I'm, um, she wrote a pamphlet on that. She went up to the Covewood lounge for, I'm sorry, the Covewood Lodge with a friend for like what she described as like a little reunion. They would get together every once in a while, old friends to have these little like getaways. Now she said from the moment she first arrived, she felt very nervous and a strong urge to never look out the windows or into a mirror that she would see something she didn't want to see. So obviously we know it's coming up. (laughs) Now one night she's like walking around outside of the Covewood Lodge and she claims that as she was walking, her flashlight got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. So she said she reached the edge of the lake and by the time she reached the edge of the lake, the flashlight was completely broken. Her camera and her watch also all stopped working at that same time. Now she goes back because her flash doesn't light doesn't work to get her friend and they go back to the area and sit on the gazebo that's sort of overlooking the lake now the friend is like it's kind of like you and me it's like you are linda and i'm the friend who's like oh come on <laughs> i'm like the skeptic friend so i'm linda you're linda if i was linda and i knew this was a haunted area i would not go to a gazebo because gazebos <laughs> are haunted so she so like there's like a, a little bit of banter on this gazebo and while they're sitting on the gazebo, uh, the friend's name is Bridget, I think, a, a white mist sort of swirls up from the lake and slowly floats in their direction. Uh, it's sort of in a female shape and has like a trail of haze behind it. According to Linda, I wasn't uncomfortable, but I did feel an incredible sadness emanating from this ghostly woman. Now, in this story, she claims that the next morning while she was sort of poking around the um, lobby of the Covewood Lodge, she noticed memorabilia about Chester and Grace that she didn't know the story beforehand and that she knew it was Grace when she saw that memorabilia. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And the last story is um, a man named Jim Dunning. He was a guest at the Covewood Lodge in 1999, and he would routinely go on these early morning sw- swims in Big Moose Lake. Now, one mo- morning when he returned from his swim, he noticed a single small wet footprint on the steps leading from the lake to the dock. No one else was around there, and there was only one footprint. And Grace Brown suddenly came to his mind because he recalled that she was very tiny, like a petite woman. He said, at that point that the hairs on the back of his neck stood up uh, and that was his story. It was just one footprint? One small footprint. And just one a foot? One foot. One, yeah, a foot, a small footprint and there was no one else around and it was just like sort of had appeared uh, and then he noticed it. Now, one thing I want to say that cracked me up was Robert Stack at the end of that Unsolved Mystery. You know how he like wraps it up? This was the final story of the episode. He speculated that the reason Grace is haunting Covewood Lodge is that she's unhappy how, how she's portrayed like a hoe. I mean, he didn't use hoe. He didn't use hoe. He did. He's like, he's that they, that that she's always portrayed as this loose morals woman. Right. In these stories. Like, I don't have a judgment against that. If she's fucking Chester, Chester's a murderer. Like, yeah, I I mean, I don't care if she's fucking the rich kid in town who fucking cares, but that was his speculation that she didn't like that. She's always sold as this loose, loose morals woman or something. That's Robert Stack's opinion. Okay, Robert Stack. I mean, I mean, this is from the 90s. It was still unacceptable to be loosely moral. <laughs> you still have to be a good girl, Rachel. You know how it is. <laughs> now, um, I also mentioned on the last episode that I was going to talk more about a sort of copycat crime that happened after the Grace Brown, um, Chester, Gillette uh, murder. So this took place in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania in 1934, and this is the story of Robert Edwards and Freda McKechnie, who were two lovers and had a very similar um, story. This case would eventually be dubbed the American Tragedy Murder. So... This begins like very similarly to the story um, of Grace and Chester. Uh, so after 
after that murder happened, I mentioned that the book by Theodore Dreiser um, was published in 1925. It became a best-selling book. He was actually a reporter and had been long looking for a crime to kind of turn into um, a novel. And when this happened, this case happened, he kind of like saved it from obscurity. Like he really made this um, crime sort of stick around because it was the basis to so many cultural, like iconic, like cultural works. Um, so in 1934, this, this, um, an, an American tragedy came to life, but it was like something that had already happened in a way. But anyway, so Freda and Bobby, they, they both came from respectable families in Edwardsville, Pennsylvania. They like went to church together. They were that type of old school thing. They spent a lot of time together publicly, but were also arranging private meetings where they would hook up. Now, Bobby it was considered hot and Freda like not so much. She's also six years older than him. She was 27 to his 21. Was she like his secret lover? Yeah, like they were kind of public, but like no one thought they were fucking. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, but they were public almost like a boyfriend, girlfriend. Like people thought they were gonna get married. So it wasn't like secret in that regard, but it was secret that there was a sexual element to it, because that was just not acceptable back then, especially for these church going, uh, it wasn't people. acceptable that she was so much uglier than him. No, that they were fuck like to fuck before marriage. Oh, that was oh. still not like something acceptable back then, right. especially for church people, <laughs> church people. Uh, and, and like she was six years older than, than him. So that was like another unusual thing, but people were like, Oh, it's true love. Like he's into this woman. She's not attractive. She's older. Like she must have a great personality. Like people were baffled. Uh, of course, when you see the pictures, it's not like she's that homely. She's just not like, uh, Elizabeth Taylor or something like right. that. Now, um, Anyway, they were still presumed to be a couple that would probably get married one day, and everyone's pretty happy about it. Now, Bobby had other ideas, though. At some point, he goes off to school. I think it's in upstate New York, and it's while he's away at school, he meets another woman, and her name is Margaret Crane. Now, in the reports I read, she was even more unattractive than Dude. <laughs> so I don't know what... Bobby's deal was like I have no idea. Maybe they're but not unattractive to Bobby. This was this was not like a case where he's like trying to like hook up with a hotter woman. Like she was equally plain according to like reports. So all the papers were like Bobby likes ugly bitches. I know it was like seriously. I was kind of like, dude, like lay off. He's not that hot. Like it's <laughs> so fucking rude. It's so rude. So. He was like enamored with Margaret, though. Like he was fucking enamored this of her. New chick. The new chick, and because she was sort of unattractive, she ate it up because she had never gotten that much attention from a man, much less someone that was sort of considered attractive at the time. So they began a sexual affair as well. Now, at some point, he has to leave the area where he's hooking up with Margaret because of the Great Depression. He had to drop out of school and go home and work at his dad's coal factory. That's like the most Great Depression. <laughs> he has to leave school. So he's like back in his hometown. Um, but he's having this torrid correspondence with Margaret still via letters. So like a very similar aspect to um, the first trial. There's like these letters. Now, he also resumes fucking Freda while he's home. So like Chester and Grace, things come to a head in July of 1934 when Freda learns that she's four months pregnant. 
Now, Bobby agrees almost immediately to marry her, and they make a plan to elope on August 1st. Freda was like over the moon about this. She really wanted to marry Bobby. On July 30th, after dinner at her parents' home, the couple go out for a drive. According to the report, Freda is like so excited about the upcoming wedding. She proposes that they go for a swim at Harvey's Lake, which was one of their favorite areas to go hook up. Now, they arrive shortly after 9 p.m. and park on a spot called Sandy Beach. They, they change into swimsuits and go out into the water. An hour later, Bobby leaves the beach alone. Early the next morning, a 15-year-old girl is canoeing at the lake with her younger brother when they spot a woman's body wearing an orange bathing suit floating face down beneath the water. Now, obviously, they're terrified. They go to the beach and they get lifeguards who plunge into the water and pull out this body, which is lifeless. The body, she's dead. So police come along. Um, a physician is also summoned, and they quickly determine that the woman had not drowned. She had died from a savage blow to the back of her head with a blunt instrument. When they removed her bathing cap, they had um, clotted blood, like literally fell out when they took the bathing cap off. They could see that there was a huge laceration on the top of her head, and the murder weapon was discovered a short time later when they were like searching the beach for evidence, they found a leather covered blackjack in the sand. What's a blackjack? I meant to look that up. I think it's like um, a crowbar type Someone's thing. Someone's yelling at us right now. You know what? At reply us. Go ahead. No, don't. I'm tired. <laughs> I, I meant to look it up. Sorry. I did mean to look it up because I was like, I know Rachel's going to be like, what's a blackjack? What's and a- I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do, and I like put a mental note, but obviously no, I forgot I my mental I, note. I know. I was like, Google that. Now, uh, <laughs> so the victim is obviously identified as Freda McKechnie, and her parents had been up all night, like wondering where their da- daughter was, and they they told authorities that she had gone out with a drive for a drive with Bobby Edwards. So he's pretty much immediately picked up on suspicion of murder. He initially denies that he even went to the lake with Freda. Uh, but eventually he does have to kind of confess to something. Now, he says initially that they had drove around for a while and then he dropped Freda off in town, that, that she had gone to meet some friends he couldn't remember. Investigators revealed that they had found his tire tracks on the crime scene. So then he admitted that he had lied and was like, oh, well, let me tell you what really happened. Now, at that point, he's like, we drove out to Sandy Beach. It was raining. There was lightning. We decided to go swimming. They changed into their babies, bathing suits, went out into the water and decided to float. There was like one of those platforms that float on top of, like yeah. the, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. He said... That he was going to dive, according to him, his quote, I got a notion to dive, I dove. When I came back up, my hand struck her under the chin. She fell backwards and hit her head against the, the that platform float. She was sort of stunned unconsciousness, and she started swimming further and further out into the water. But why was the blackjack on the beach, Bobby? I don't know, Come Bobby. Come on, Bobby. A moment later... Uh, Edward says that he saw her white bathing cap disappear. I went out for her, but I couldn't find her. I went back, got in my car, and drove away. Now, on the morning after his arrest, police officers took him to the crime scene to get his version once again, and he revised his story another time. This time, he says he admitted that he hit Freda with the blackjack, but he insisted she was already dead when he hit her. Now, he and Freda had taken a rowboat out to the float, according to him. After swimming for a while, she complained of being cold, and she stepped back into the rowboat to return to the, 
to shore. She collapsed. He tried to revive her, but was unable to find a heartbeat. He panicked and swam back to the shore, ran to his car, and he climbed in. He thought of the blackjack. It belonged to his father. Um, He had put it in the glove box. So he said, it occurred to me that if there was some mark on Freda's body, it might look like her death um, was an accident and I would be left out of it. I knew she was pregnant. I knew she was not allowed to swim. So when I returned to the boat, she was in the same position. She had not revived. I could do nothing. I put her head on my left arm and struck her on the back of the head with a blackjack. I didn't even realize what I had done and I carried her body out to the water, up to my chest, and let her drop. Now, that's Wait, an insane story to tell. Can you explain this again in your own <laughs> words? I'm, this is- he basically saying that she collapsed and was dying, but he was worried it wouldn't look like an accident. So then he went to his car and got the blackjack and hit her on the head so that it looked like her death was an accident. What an idiot. <laughs> I know. I can't even understand it, but that's like a quote from him. Now... Investigators at this point had way more information on him. They knew about the relationship with Margaret, so that was sort of a compelling motive uh, for him. They knew that she was secretly pregnant with his child, another motive for him to kind of do away with her. When they confronted him with all of this circumstantial evidence, he finally broke down. This time he revealed the truth about the murder. He said, Freda didn't faint. She didn't fall and hurt herself. I had been thinking of doing this since she told me she wanted to become a mother because I wanted to marry Margaret Crane. We swam for a while. We talked about her having a baby. The water was a little over four feet deep. She ducked down once. And when she came back up, I pulled out the blackjack quick and hit her on the back of the head. I hit her with the blackjack and then I left her in the water and then tossed the murder weapon into the lake and drove home basically. So at some point, this piece of information, he stopped also at a drugstore before he went home and bought chocolate bars for his mother. How sweet. I don't know why people brought that up. Now, uh, yo, yeah, so he pretty much slept that night, left this body in the water. Um, I mean, that's why his story didn't make sense. It was a lie. This case was quick, quickly dubbed an American tragedy murder um, for all, all the obvious reasons. I mean, it's pretty fucking similar case Um except for, I guess, some aspects of the rich, like the ups, like wanting to move up in society. Um, Edward said he had never read the book. Like it wasn't like he chose to do it because he read the book. It wasn't an influence on him. He goes on trial and this was a pretty big trial as well. In fact, uh, Theodore Dreiser covers this trial. Like he goes and like, he's one of the reporters on the scene when the trial's happening in October of 1934. He wrote that the trial was quite a spectacle. Hundreds of spectators were pushing their way into the courtroom, like wanting to see this exciting, like whatever shit show. Um, They once again, they read these um, love letters that he sent to Margaret and also ones that he sent to Freda. Now the contents of these letters were supposedly so fucking filthy that one observer uh, who was on on the scene claimed that they made uh, this pornographic classic book called Fanny Hill or the Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure, which, by the way, I researched a little bit, looked like a toned-down version of Little Women. (laughs) So that's how salacious these letters supposedly were. Now, I actually looked up this Fanny Hill book. It's It's like a pornographic classic. It's old school. Like erotica? Yeah, but it's like about a woman who's like a, you know, a sex worker, uh, and she goes through all these different phases. I actually was thinking it's a book. 
Yeah, it's a book. Um, I was thinking that it would be fun to review, yeah. like for a bonus Patreon episode, because uh, <laughs> it had some wild stories in it when I was reading about it. There's like this whole passage about some guy's dick being really huge, but it's written in like a very literary way. <laughs> like they're trying to be literary about Love it, but when it's they like do that. I, someone. So I was like, the thing I was reading, they were like, "Too long didn't read." He had a big knife dick. <laughs> It was literally like a 400 word paragraph about basically trying to say his dick was big. Okay. So they were really selling um, Bobby as this playboy who had all these women. um, And the the way he, he kind of recanted his confession again, once he was in court, he was trying to reclaim that she had died accidentally. Uh, No one believed him. They took 12 hours to convict him and sentence him to death. Now, the interesting thing is that Theodore Dreiser was unhappy with the verdict. He believed that these two guys were victims of um, American societal pressure. Who's Theodore Dreiser? He's the guy who wrote the the book, An American Tragedy. But he thinks it's all capitalism and America's pressure for people to succeed and be wealthy that's pressing these men to do these crimes. Uh, And that they had wanted to move up in society so much because it's like the only thing men... uh, you know, like whatever, men in particular are pressured by this. Also, Margaret Crane's family was not rich, so that wasn't his motive as far as like marrying into a wealthier family. She just was what he wanted more. He actually wrote to like the governor to get this guy pardoned, um, but he was executed. He went to uh, the electric chair reading from his Bible and died. So that's the, that's the copycat crime. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And I have some recommendations. Awesome. You want to get into that? Do you have recommendations? uh, I just watching, still watching Ray Donovan. I'm already on season six. Can't believe I only have two seasons left. Right. I just finished Boardwalk Empire. You need to watch Ray Donovan. Okay. I need someone to talk to about it besides Brendan. So I finished Boardwalk Empire. It was very good. Um, And last night I started uh, It Chapter (laughs) 2. I that heard- movie sucks. I mean, I heard it sucked, but you know how you're like, oh, how bad can it be? It really is. It's like, look, I'm going to finish it because it's one of those movies you can just zone out to and I don't really care that it's good or bad. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of fascinatingly bad because it has like a really good cast. Right. Like there's big stars in it. Um, uh, I didn't, I probably only watched like 45 minutes the most, maybe even less. Uh, and it was just so, it's like, it makes the TV movie is better quality <laughs> than Pete, this. This is a big screen movie. I and like know. some of the things in it, I was like, I almost took pictures, but I was just so tired. But I was like, this can't be really happening in a movie. It, it was just so like if you're in a horror movie and you're not scared, that's a bad sign. Like 
The scary moments actually are so ridiculous. You're like, this is stupid. Like, so don't I, get me started. Okay, uh, don't get me started on that take. However, I do agree with you that I still haven't watched chapter two because everyone said it's not worth watching. I don't know that it's not worth watching because it's like it's fine. I don't know. It's not. I wouldn't go into it thinking it's as good as the first one. But I think it's such a stark contrast for how universally praised chapter one was. Yeah. And it was something I was looking forward to. But I think because I waited out, like, you know, the controversy of it sucking so bad, it was kind of like, oh, let me watch this. It's like 1 a.m. <laughs> Who cares? I like, loved if it's chapter good. one. Yeah, chapter one is good. I really so, loved it. And there was like, oh my God, that scene in chapter one where they're like in the house with Pennywise, I, I like almost pissed my pants. It was And so by the scary. way, when I say it's funny, I'm not talking about horror movies that are actually funny. I'm talking about horror movies that are trying to be scary and are funny because you're laughing at how ridiculous it is. I like that sometimes. It depends. This is not good. It's not entertaining. It's not... It's not funny in a way that's schlocky or campy. It's just dumb. Right. Like right, I can't right. explain it. Like the it was so ridiculous, this one thing I'm in particular thinking of that it was just like I don't even know that funny is the right word because I wasn't really laughing. <laughs> it was just off. Um, but yeah, it, it it's so bad. But I'm I'm definitely gonna finish it. Now I haven't watched these two documentaries, but I'm very excited to watch them. So I wanna give them a shout out. If you want to watch them this week, I'm definitely going to. The first one is called, um, shit. The first one is called The Secret Love. Now, this is a Netflix documentary about this lesbian couple that have been together for 65 years. And they their families didn't know that they were a couple until very recently. Like, I that's saw, how... Did you see that? Well, no, but I saw someone tweeted. They were like, I cannot believe this family didn't get that their two aunts were gay together. Yeah, I mean it's an, it's insane that they didn't get it, but there was something really the I thought the trailer was really touching like these two older women have been in this relationship and they didn't even feel comfortable telling. I don't know, it looks good, so I'm going to watch it. And then the other one I'm really excited to watch this is called Circus of Books. About Do you Circus know this? of Books? Yeah. So there's a documentary called Circus of Books. It's basically the story of this nice Jewish couple who bought this gay porn store in LA. I know all that about became books. like the biggest purveyor of gay porn in the United States, like the distributor, not purveyor. Uh, so yeah, I want to watch this documentary, Circus of Books. <laughs> that looks amazing as well. So they're not exactly crime, but they just seem like good Netflix documentaries uh, to kind of check out that aren't. Like, as awful as Tiger King. I mean, not that it's awful, but, like, just kind of, like, these are more heartwarming, I think. Right, it's not about awful people. So if you want to see something more heartwarming, I'm going to check those out this week. I've been listening to a lot of Dateline, the podcast. Oh. It's basically just audio of the Dateline episodes, but with, like, additional audio recorded in to make it for a podcast. Cool. It's great, because I love listening to Keith Morrison talk about stuff. Oh, right. I could listen to him talk about anything. His voice is so funny. He, uh, he He's always like, I just love when he's like, I'm going to be skeptical about this. And he goes, really? Like, he no, his like, asides are so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, what was the one we were talking? Oh, right. With like Blood Meridian. 
was it? Oh, Cormac McCarthy. Dude, I'm so... Oh, wait. Did we talk... Did we do a story on that? Or were no, we just talking about I it? I tweeted about it. I, oh, but I had noticed it too, and then you tweeted about it. No, no. It was my tweet, because I was listening to the podcast, and I rec- screen recorded it from my phone, and I uploaded it to Twitter, because I said, this is so fucking funny, his commentary. It was from The Truth About Pam. Right. But my point was, I had also noticed it when I heard that episode. I'm not saying you didn't. T- you tweeted it. I tweeted it, and he basically said uh, somebody Cormac w- McCarthy was boring. Yeah, like some guy in the in police interrogation was talking about how he was reading some book that he ended up finding boring, and it was like The Road by Cormac yeah. McCarthy. <laughs> and Keith Morrison has this little aside where he goes, "Cormac McCarthy, boring." Really? No, it's such a classic Keith Morrison. There's other podcasts I listened to a few episodes of. Um, it's sort of similar. It's called I Survived. So it's like it's like an A&E podcast. Is that a show? That's a show, right? I don't know, but I heard about the podcast. It's yeah. like people who survive like harrowing events. Right. So it's like, it's. Uh, I think that it was a TV show because I've heard people talk about episodes. Um, so it's like, if you like survival stories, then yeah. you should check that one out. Okay, food. Do you have any interesting food? No, because I can't go to my grocery stores because they're all packed with people who don't know how to social distance and it's just like a fucking nightmare, so I can't grocery shop right now. I spent eight hours yesterday making lasagna bolognese. (laughs) Like to the point when I finished, I was literally exhausted. I felt like I got hit by a truck. Like I was so physically exhausted. I was. I could barely eat it. I was, I was like, like gonna cry <laughs> looking at those pictures. It looked so good. Cause like I'm telling you, Desi. Like I can. Like there is no good food at my house. There hasn't been good food at my house for fucking weeks. Ugh, I'm so lucky that I don't live in the heart of like Hollywood. I'm, I'm in a city. Like yeah. I'm in Hollywood, and every store is fucking packed. I can't do it. It's too scary. Yeah. No, that's bad. So like any good food I've eaten this week has been delivery, delivery and it's all been like mediocre. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just no, sad. I'm sad. like, I'm hungry right now. So I'm actually kind of like sad. Yeah. It is sad when you're hungry and you can't get <laughs> good food. <laughs> I'm thinking about that fucking pasta you made. It looked so good. It was so hard. I would kill to have some like meat I cooked the house. sauce all day. And then I made bechamel, so it was like layered with that. And then I made homemade noodles. Dude, I had like a setup where I was like making the noodles and then immediately throwing them in the pot and then putting them on a plate with olive oil so they didn't stick together and like making the layers. I had like this like assembly line. (laughs) It was so physically draining though. I was like fucking exhausted after making it. So um, I ate some last night and I ate some for lunch today. It's very good. I recommend. <laughs> if you're going to make lasagna, this is the one to do. I did actually think, like, I'm probably never making this again. Like, maybe I won't make the homemade noodles. Because it was so labor-intensive. It's honestly, it would be a great thing to make if you were, like, on a family vacation and you had helpers. Right. But to make by yourself was just, it was literally, like, a workout, but an eight-hour-long one. If that's how you want to justify you <laughs> eating an entire lasagna by yourself, Desi, go right ahead. I support it. It was really hard. But I do have some le- leftover bolognese, so I'm saving that. Uh, so there's that, I guess, that benefit to it. Um, I think that was my only good food. 
this week. Oh, other boo than boo hoo, <laughs> boo hoo. My only good food was homemade lasagna with bolognese. Honestly, sauce. like once I made this lasagna, I've made it like once before. I can't go back to like that mozzarella ricotta filled lasagna. Like this one's so much superior. Like wait, so it was bechamel. What kind of cheese in it? It's layers of pasta, bechamel, bolognese, and parmesan. So very light sprinkling of Parmesan. So the creaminess comes from the um, bechamel. Right. And it turns into this like kind of like mac and cheesy kind of thing mm. with the um, meat sauce. Uh, and then you put the Parmesan on top. So it's really crunchy top layer. It has like all yeah. those good crispy edges. You fucking bitch. You fucking whore. <laughs> I fucking hate you. I don't know. You, it's like t- if you have good homemade noodles and the good sauce, then you don't want to cover it all up with cheese and ricotta. Like... Yeah, it tastes good. Yeah. So anyway, that's my story. I don't. I don't have any food stories. Can we move on to letters? First, I just want to thank our listeners for we got so many letters this yeah. week. Ghost stories from listeners and pants shitting stories. <laughs> because as an aside, I said we have asked for pants shitting stories in the past. Right. I didn't know we were actually going to get any this week, but we did. We did. Yeah. So I'd like to read. A few of our letters this week. We got a ton, so we're going to be reading these. If you don't hear your letter read on the show this week... It'll be next week. It'll be next week or the week after that. We got a lot of letters. Okay. The first pants shitting story... I'm going to read pants shitting and ghost stories. Okay. Mix it up. Because ghosts will make you shit your pants sometimes. I would love a combo. (laughs) (laughs) This is from Michelle. When I was pregnant with my daughter 16 years ago, I was at work with the worst stomach ache after sitting for an extra hour at my desk. I decided to try and make the trip home. These are all country roads, no public place between work and my house, which is about 30 minutes away. There is a forest that is about ha- at a halfway point. When I knew I was not going to make it home, I decided I'm going to try and pull off to the side of the road and use the forest. Michelle. <laughs> But when I got there, there's all sorts of cars lining the road, people walking the trails. With hope in my heart, I continue going, thinking, okay, maybe I can make it home, but less than a mile later, I know I can't. I pull onto a dirt road with no tree covering in a sweaty panic, see a Walmart bag in my car, and decide I gotta lift my ass up and just shit in the bag without opening a door. I get home, my husband is outside, and I proceed to tell him the story as I throw the bag in the trash container. He looks at me horrified that I brought the bag home. I said, you know how I feel about people who litter? Anyway, you can use my name and read. Michelle. (laughs) That's amazing. Incredible, Michelle. Thank you. I think she did a great job. Now, one of our listeners got attacked by an incubus, which is like a night, a dream, a nightmare ghost, which they're kind of cute, but kind of scary looking. Have you seen what an incubus looks like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a little gremlin. Yeah. And they haunt you in your sleep. Okay. You ready, Desi? Mm -hmm. Ladies. You are all sometimes all that stops me from losing my mind. I save your podcast for when I'm doing things that make me angry, like laundry, so I can be in a better mood. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I always feel like I want to send a message, but now's the time. About 10 years ago, I was alone in bed falling asleep. There was a little light coming under the door and the hallway light that was on. I woke up with something visible but see-through on my chest. I could feel the weight and my hands around my neck. I could feel the constriction. 
and my head was being bashed against the headboard, which I felt, but there was no sound. I couldn't speak or move or even think, literally frozen in every sense except my eyes. I felt myself lose consciousness. I woke up hours later shaking in the skin of my throat and the back of my head sore. My heart was beating so fast and I was lightheaded. I didn't remember what happened, but I knew that it was something evil. I spent the rest of the night on the couch with the lights on silently crying, but I didn't know why. The next day, I had the History Channel on while I was cooking. It was some paranormal show talking about how incubuses attack women in their sleep and showed a picture similar to this, and the details slammed into me so hard that I had to sit on the floor and catch my breath. I'm still not totally over it, and sometimes I feel something. Like, you know how it's about to storm without looking outside. Those nights, the lights are on. On a lighter note, the first time I got a Brazilian wax, the waxer said, you have a unicorn pussy. I... I asked if this was equivalent to a diamond level pussy, but she didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I'm all, okay, this is dirty. <laughs> I don't know if she wants us to read her, um, her, what her pussy looks like, but I appreciate the but description. It's, it's, it's hot. Yeah. It sounds hot. Uh, anyway, thank you. And congratulations <laughs> on having a nice looking pussy. According to your Brazilian waxer. That's hot. Okay. <laughs> And our last story I'm reading is from Anna Marie because she also has been pushed by a ghost. In fact, we got several emails from listeners who, like me, have been pushed by ghosts before. So I guess that's a thing. Yeah. I feel validated right now. Yeah. This is just our last story for the week. We'll read more next week. Mm Mm-hmm. Hello, Desi and Rachel. My husband and I stayed to watch the credits after some Marvel movie. We sat in the very upper row, and we were the last to leave. As we walked down the corridor towards the door, I was pushed. Hard. I looked behind me. No one. My husband was walking beside me, but I thought he was being a smartass and playing a joke. Nope. I got pushed by what I couldn't see. This wasn't surprise. I wasn't surprised, just a big bit wigged out. This shit happens too a lot. I've had my hair and arms stroked. I got shaken awake once when I fell asleep on the couch. My son and I got scratched by a female entity. I saw her. We asked her to leave, and the bitch would not go. I had to ask a psychic friend to help me get her to go to the light. At Christmas, we felt the room go cold. I shouted, leave my house. You're not welcome here, like that would help. The non-blinking tree lights blinked on and off twice. Needless to say, I unplugged those fuckers till I took the tree down. (laughs) I'm laughing that she said, you're not welcome here. It's like everyone learns their ghost fighting like abilities from like movies. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's all you really know. Right. Like a poltergeist. Like I can picture Joe Beth Williams screaming that or something. Yeah, and doesn't go, she say something like "Get out of here, bitch"? Or right, something? Like, get out of my house. Yeah, because um, yeah, there's always like the last moment towards like the end of the movie where you've just had it, right? And you're just telling that bitch ghost to leave. Yes, yeah, you're at your wits end. You're just like yelling at the ghost as if it's like a intruder, right? <laughs> like and a some, human. And sometimes, more times than not, ghosts—they're not like maliciously evil like they are in movies. They're just like annoying. Yeah, and you're like, please leave my house. Yeah. I live here now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair to the ghosts, like, um, what if you lived in that house for years and then you died, and you're just like, well, it was my house first. Yeah, there's some like uh, they've got a beef. 
I'm a ghost apologist. <laughs> I'm a ghost believer, but also a ghost I apologist. I can see where they're coming from, but the rules have changed. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should listen. They got to respect. Because they're a ghost. They could go anywhere. They could go literally anywhere. Why would you want to stay in your old boring house? Go live right. in a castle. I would haunt a castle. That's Go to fucking like, Buckingham Palace. I don't know. That's the ideal place to be a ghost is if you die in a castle and you haunt a castle. Like if you could haunt anything, wouldn't you haunt like a rich person's house? Right. Because I'd be like, fuck you. That, <laughs> I live in the parasite house now. Yeah. <laughs> like I would haunt rich people. Right. I would poor too. poor people and they're in their, like little bungalows. <laughs> Right, like average Joes. Like yeah. I, I would be haunting rich people. If you could go anywhere, sure. you I mean, I wonder if there's rules. Like do you have to haunt only your house? Right. No one knows. Like you're confined to yeah. that space. There's some contractual stuff as a ghost that we don't know about. But uh what's her name? What's the girl's name? Brenda that we talked about earlier today? Brown? Oh, Grace Brown. Grace I was Brown. Like, Brenda. <laughs> what the fuck is? Who the hell is Brenda? Okay, well uh, Grace Brown, uh the Oh the, right, she she did the she, lodge. She haunts multiple places, allegedly. Right. She haunts a courthouse and the lodge and the lake. Right. This bitch is a ghost about town. Yeah. But she has a beef with that particular area. Right. So, But it's the area. Yeah. She's not like in California. Like, I'm yeah. going to go haunt Disneyland. Look, I don't know the rules. Oh, th- that would be a fun place to haunt. Disneyland. We, right. But we've talked- I would hang out in the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> yeah. be like, no one even would know. They wouldn't know. They'd be like, this is an amazing attraction. <laughs> <laughs> Those ghosts seem so real. Right. You could have fun with that. Do you remember the do you remember way back when we did our first Dark Side of Disneyland episode? We talked about one of the ghosts was named like Disco Debbie or something. Oh she died on right, one of the rides. Right. Disco she died Debbie. on Space Mountain, I think. Sure. And she was wearing like a tube top. That's the most disco ride to die on. Yeah. You gotta. Yeah, they play that crazy music. Brenda was there. <laughs> Her name was, she was with her friend Brenda when she got decapitated on Space Mountain. Oh my God. I don't think she got decapitated, but she No, died. but there was a decapitation. Not at Disneyland, was there? Yes. Wasn't it in the, um, the, the Lincoln thing? Oh, like the Hall of Presidents? Yeah. I think she just got crushed to death. Okay. That was a different so, lady from the yeah. 70s. Rest yeah. in peace. Very yeah. sad. Okay. Well... That was great. I'm looking forward to hearing more letters. Much to think about. Uh, please uh, write in if uh, you have more ghost experiences. I, I could talk about this all right. day. No, it's good to fill in these episodes to hear your ghost stories. They're interesting. Yeah, I and like I love it. the pants shitting too. I love a pants. We got lots more pants shitting stories. Again, please write down if you want your name read on the show. I don't want to like read uh, your pants shitting story and then I say <laughs> your name and it's like very specific. Of a story. Right. I mean, you could have a position of power and that will, what will your employees think? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. I'm going to listen to a pants shitter. Fuck you, boss. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Okay. bye. Bye.